from the season of deep repentance and reflection and awareness of our need for Savior even closer to the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Lord, we pray this morning that as you anointed in the past prophets and preachers to speak forth your word for the pow- with the power to convict of sin and to bring repentance and new life, Lord, that you would do that among us as well today. Lord, we know that it's your spirit who gives that. That doesn't come through human eloquence or human wisdom or human ability. And Lord, we pray that all of us, preacher and people together, would be able to receive the good news as it is proclaimed this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we all know, Advent is a time of anticipation and hope for the coming of Jesus Christ in glory at the end of the age. But I want to suggest to you this morning that it's also a progress. We're, we're on a, a trip almost, a journey during Advent from the—we heard it again. By the way, yes, we know we, we, we read the same gospel lesson, basically, because you just—you know, how often do you get to hear John the Baptist, you know? I just, it's just great. And the, the reason we need to hear that is to know that we are on this journey from wrath to joy, from woe to you, you brood of vipers, to the joy of God rejoicing over us with loud singing. And that's what happens in this season of Advent. During this season, we look back in time to the prophetic word which was promised for his first Advent, the first coming of Christ. We see that God fulfilled the longing of his people, that he was faithful to the word spoken through the prophets, and that the long-sought Savior finally was given. And because God was faithful, and he was faithful in a way that they did not anticipate, and he fulfilled all his promises nevertheless. As God was faithful then, we can be sure that he will be faithful to fulfill his promise spoken through his son, I will come again. I will come again. And that's what we're anticipating during Advent. Maybe you've noticed, though, and maybe even were a little surprised that a lot of the readings and preaching during Advent focus on things like God's judgment and the call to repentance. That word of judgment and the call to repentance, they're just, they clash with the cheap, sappy sentimentalism of the secular, quote-unquote, holiday season. <laughs> Listen, people don't go to the mall because you're hearing about judgment and the wrath to come. It's not good for business. The world wraps itself in a wreath of consumerism and nostalgia and vaguely spiritual slogans. I, I, haven't, I really haven't been to the mall because, thanks be to God, there is Amazon.com. And, and as soon as they get that whole drone fleet working, that's going to be even better. You know, so, but I, have, but when I remember going one time and there were these slogans on the, on the light post. You know, they'll put flags and banners and they'll say, Peace! and goodwill, and joy. You know, these vaguely spiritual, vaguely biblical references uh, get foisted on us in the commercial sector. But if you go to one of those places, if you go to the mall, or heaven forbid, if you're having to drive down on Haynes Mall Boulevard, you know, where you're going past Lowe's and all Home Depot and all that, let me tell you what, there's a lot of things going on, but peace and goodwill are not them. <laughs> peace and goodwill are in short, short supply during Advent around that, around that place. 
You know, last week and this morning we heard those words of wrath and judgment from John the Baptist and that stern injunction that to prepare for God's coming to his people and the Messiah, we need to repent. Those words scandalize the phony cheerfulness that secular people and even people in the church sometimes uh, struggle to generate in their lives this time of the year. Consequently, maybe more than any other time of the year, we, we can be offended, and certainly if we're, not, if we're not prepared for this coming into church, maybe, maybe uh, I don't, I'm not seeing any, any visitors, no, you know, people, I know everybody here, I think, but if you come into Christ Church on a Sunday morning during Advent, and you're expecting holiday cheer, and you're hearing, you brood of vipers, it just, it can be offensive. That's not what's supposed to be happening. At least that's not what the world thinks is supposed to be happening. We can be offended by that and offended by the biblical portrayal of God as one who pours out wrath and even the word vengeance comes out. Most of us, in fact, no longer believe that there is such a thing as what John preached about, the wrath to come that we needed to be fleeing from in the first place. I have noticed this, however. I think that deep in the human soul there is a desire... For, for judgment. And, but what has happened is that we've, ta- we've taken the compass needle of where, you know, where God's righteousness is concerned, and we didn't like where it was pointing from God's compass, so we, we, wanted, we, t- we kind of moved that compass needle over to judge something else. And so uh, I even this past week, um, the ACLU uh, in Colorado, one of, the, one of the officials with the ACU in Colorado called for the shooting death of one political candidate's supporters. Now, there's somebody who believes in righteous judgment and indignation, but they're just not based on something that had a a biblical model at, at the basis of it. There is something, though, within the human soul that knows that there needs to be judgment for sin, for wickedness, and things like that. And so, we're perplexed a little bit, perplexed about this uh, idea of a God who judges. We want the grace of God, but we're not really all that excited about the judgment of God. We demand forgiveness, but we don't see the, necess- the, necess- the necessity for repentance. We're bemused and perplexed with the idea that God actually gets so upset with our sin. I mean, it doesn't bother us. Why should it bother you, Lord? But here's the deal, folks. Grace only has meaning... Grace only means anything if there is the divine decree that the offender be subjected to God's righteous punishment. Without the reality of God's wrath, there's no need for grace. Grace only has meaning if there is such a thing as judgment. In in God's grace, God says to us, yes, you have acted wickedly, but I will not give you what you deserve. You deserve my wrath, but I will grant a means for you to have forgiveness and a new life. And that's the only way that grace makes sense is judgment is a possibility. The problem is that most of us living in the Western world here in the 21st century don't really believe we deserve wrath. God's wrath is politically incorrect. Consequences are politically incorrect. But the prayer of confession offered before Holy Communion in the classic uh, version of the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the old, what we would call Rite One, or the 1928 prayer book, or even the 1662 prayer book, it, it speaks that to us. Listen to what the old, old way of talking about um, our standing before a holy God sounded like. Listen to this. Almighty God, 
Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men. We acknowledge and bewail. Uh, one of the modern versions of this classic um, prayer of confession took out the word bewell as if modern people won't understand the word bewell. If you don't understand the word bewell, this is a great word to learn. I am wailing, bewell, we bewell, we mourn over, we acknowledge and bewell our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time, listen, most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed, against thy divine majesty. The reason we have such a hard time realizing the gravity of our sins is because we don't acknowledge the holiness of God. If we understood how holy God was, if we really believed in a holy and righteous God, we would feel differently about our sin. We have most grievously committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, listen, provoking most justly thy wrath, and indignation against us. Beloved, we can never abandon the biblical belief that God's love for his creation is so ferocious that he is provoked to anger when it is corrupted and destroyed by sin. I, I think I quoted A.W. Tozer last week. I'm going to quote him again this week because he does, has this wonderful grasp of God's holiness. In fact, he wrote one of the great little devotional books, Knowledge of the Holy. And I read that one when I was in university. and It was just a wonderful book. God is holy, and holiness is the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Whatever is holy is healthy. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of creation are inseparably united. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates iniquity as a mother hated the cancer that would take the life of her child. And that's why God does have right. Because sin, degradation, these things corrupt and destroy and, and reduce human flourishing, and it destroys God's creation. Amy Orr Ewing is, a, um, is an, uh, an apologist. She's a British lady. Um, she spoke recently, well, not real recently, but at the last provincial assembly for the Anglican Church in North America. She was one of the speaker, speakers. She and her husband, uh, her husband's nickname, everybody calls him Frog. I, I don't know anybody nicknamed Frog. I don't know how you get a nickname like Frog, but Frog and Amy or Ewing are church planners, and, uh, and she's an apologist, and she works with um, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and, but they're in the Church of England. And uh, their first assignment out of seminary was, uh, was serving an inner-city parish in an area of London called Peckham. And Peckham is known for its gangs and its guns. It is a rough part of town. They grew that little church from a handful of people, maybe 30 people, to a, uh, a church of over 700 people. There were many uh, just radical conversions. People were radically converted under the ministry of, the, of um, the evangelistic ministry that they had there. It changed that community for them being there. One of the people that, that she connected with, and by the way, this was a very socioeconomically different community than, than their own backgrounds. They came from academic backgrounds and, and fairly prosperous backgrounds, and, uh, and they're in an inner-city urban setting. For this, for this church ministry. One of the ladies there in that church had, had five children from a, a baby to a young teenager. And each of the children were by a different, hus- or a different man, not a husband, different father. 
Uh, and all of the fathers had abandoned the children and her. And then uh, one day, one of the men was released from prison. One of her exes was released from prison. He came back to her flat there in Peckham. He violated her 13-year-old daughter in front of her, and then he beat this woman literally nearly to death. She almost lost an eye. Her head was incredibly swollen. They took her to the hospital. They were able to save her eye, and, and she, she recovered. And, and, uh, and it, was just, it, it was just horrible. And, and Amy talks about... Um, She's talking about this, you know, when you, when you love someone, it changes how you feel about when evil is done to them. And so she says, and I think so rightly, love cries out for justice. Love cries out for justice. If we truly love, and God loves his universe that he's made, it cries out for justice. And you don't just, if somebody does something like happened to that woman, you don't just say, well, that's all right. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. We can't stand, we can't bear the thought of somebody getting away with that. She said that uh, later, um, her father-in-law, Frog's dad, had purchased a, um, a holiday for them, a skiing holiday in France. And they were thrilled because they didn't have two Sioux to rub together being in an inner city parish. And they, they had this, uh, this holiday to France to go skiing. And they piled the kids in the car. They even, he even provided money to rent a car and to pay the tolls on the, on the auto, auto route, which is the French motorways. And so they're, they're going along in France, and they're having a wonderful time. And all of a sudden, uh, Frog looks up in the rearview mirror, and, or I guess it would be on the rearview mirror on that side. Yes, he's on this side. She's over there. No, no, they're in France. They've got the right, right they drive right there. So, uh, and he sees the blue light in the back of the, uh, of the car. So there's a, a, a policeman who's pulling them over. And, uh, and they, they were like, they're in an 80-kilometer-an-hour speed zone, and they were, they were really going fast. They were going 83, 83. And Amy, you're, uh, Amy is saying under her breath, it's because we're English, and they're French, and they hate us still. They hate us. And so they pulled him over, and it was, um, uh, they tried everything they could do to, to talk them out of paying the fine. They wouldn't accept them uh, to, to pay the fine, wouldn't let them pay the fine, uh, get away without paying the fine. So they had to pay like 90 euros, almost all of the money that they had for that. And it was interesting. They were just, it said, it's just so unjust. It's so unjust. And as they're driving away, uh, her husband said to her, uh, isn't, isn't our reaction interesting? We did break the speed limit. And then she says this, and it, it relates to that first story. Where we stand in regard to judgment massively affects how we view it. When we stand with the victim of a crime that has been perpetrated, our heart cries out for justice. But when we get what we deserve, we don't like it at all. And that's the way we feel about God's judgment in our own lives. Here's the point I want to make. We, we cannot experience the authentic joy of Christmas without going through the judgment and repentance of Advent. We cannot experience the joy of Christmas. If we do, it's a cheapened joy. It's a cheapened fake joy. Because we have to pass through judgment and repentance first. When we realize the gravity of sin and the intensity of God's wrath, the certainty of God's judgment, it is only then that we can experience the fullness of joy that we hear from the prophet Zephaniah. And we heard that this morning. You know, Zephaniah's prophecy of joy that we heard 
uh, those joyful words that we just heard read don't begin, that prophecy doesn't begin that way. Actually, it begins a lot more scary in chapter 1. Listen to some of what he has to say. This is God speaking through the prophet Zephaniah. It really is in your Bible. You may have to find the table of contents uh, to find it. But it says, I will, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath that is, is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind. So that they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. Listen to what he says. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Those are terrifying words. In fact, one, com one commentator says, these are not healing words. These are killing words. They function to kill our flesh. They kill our flesh of the misconceptions we may harbor about God and our relationship to him. They kill our sense of complacency and security and confidence in our own abilities. They ought to frighten us and shake us from our lethargy, and they need to be preached that way. But, beloved, that's not the last word. In fact, it's because of that word that there is, listen, good news. God's word of judgment is not the final word to humanity. God's final word to us is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is God's final word. You see, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment foretold in Zephaniah chapter 1 has already come. Yes, there will be a final fulfillment at the end of the age, but the day that God poured out wrath and judgment came 2,000 years ago on Calvary's hill, and it came upon his own son, Jesus Christ. The day of wrath came on Calvary on Good Friday. On that day, the wrath of God against our sin exploded on his only begotten son, one writer says. His own father forsook him, forsook him, and as Paul says, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And that is why the good news is so good. That's why the joy prophesied in Zephaniah chapter 3 really is so joyous. In fact, you cannot hear the joy of Zephaniah 3 without hearing the judgment of Zephaniah chapter 1. Just as the prophet foretold the coming of judgment, he has foretold the coming of grace and forgiveness. And listen again to these beautiful, beautiful words. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in the midst of you. 
You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Emmanuel, a mighty one who will save. And listen to what the word says to those who receive that that gift of God's presence among us. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Think about it. God rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What is the song that God is singing over you in his love? That's got to be a beautiful, beautiful song. Quieting us by his love like a mama quiets her baby with a lullaby. And that's why the angel declares at Christ's birth, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The good news is so good. And the joy is so great because the bad news of sin and judgment were so bad. And may God reveal to our hearts again the gravity of our need for him so that when we realize the wonderful gift of salvation we have been given, we will rejoice. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has taken away our punishments. He has defeated our enemies, and he is in the midst of us forevermore. And now that he has saved us, we are not the recipients of his wrath and judgment. No, instead, he rejoices over us with gladness. And so let's let's light a pink candle, a candle of rejoicing. We were bound for death and hell. But in the dark night long ago in Bethlehem, a teenaged mother gave birth to God's final word to us and laid that little boy in a manger crib. And that word that he speaks through that boy is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This Advent, if you have not yet received the greatest Christmas gift that has ever been given, oh, why are you waiting? He wants to rejoice over you with glad singing, with loud singing. I think when God gets loud, everybody can hear it probably, singing his love song over you. If that's not where you are this Advent, I pray that God would take you from wrath to joy, that you would know the good news is so good because you realize the bad news that you have been delivered from. It is so easy to do this. It's so easy because God has given us a gift. We don't have to do it for ourselves. All we have to do is receive the gift, repent of our sin, turn away from when we were walking away from him, and turn back to God and say, I receive your gift, your son Jesus Christ, by faith. Thank you that he died and rose again for me. I make him my Savior now. 
let him be Lord of my life. Now, it's so easy. The only hard thing about it is us. Because we can't have the gift. If we are clutching our own lives so tightly, if we're holding on to our own sin or just our own selfishness so tightly, God can't put anything in those hands. You have to open your hands and release those things and say, I let go of my life so that I might have the life that is truly life through your son. May God grant us that this Advent. May we find joy at Christmas. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you at this time to stand with me as we confess the faith we hold together through the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 